Hey, Mitch. Um, I'm uh, I'm going to start this off, and I, I, this is a, is this your your first podcast? Yes, yes. All right, all right. Well, I'm going to start this off with uh, something I like to call um, uh, random access memories, uh, just so we can kind of it's so fun. I'm going to give you some uh, you know uh, a question. You come up with like you know just what's off the top of your head on that, right? So um, first things first, clicky keyboard or quiet keyboard. Clicky thing. keyboard. Clicky keyboard. All right. All right. That's it. You know, I, I had a, I had someone one time and um, they were an executive assistant at this company, uh, top executive assistant. And uh, they had to have a clicky keyboard. And so we, as we got them like back and in and found clicky keyboards, we would just stack them up so that mm-hmm. if there was ever a problem and there was, we would just swap out the clicky keyboard with another one rather than order. <laughs> These were the old school click, click, click. You could every single uh, um, key press you could have was that was doing that. But so now I have a question. Um, you ever uh, um, you ever make your own computer or do anything like yeah, that? I've right. done it. I, I did that since I was younger. Everything. So, I kind of gave up in the last few year, last several years, though. I just don't have the time anymore. That's the same way, right? Well, let me ask you a question. Did your computer ever glow? Not really. I think I might have put a light in at one point, but I think <laughs> I, I think I was done building them by the time we made them glow. <laughs> All right. That's good news. That's good news. What is the uh, computer part that you miss the most? That I miss the most? Yeah. Could oh, be anything. Lord. Anything. Mm. I don't know. I'd say probably the case itself. I always had a lot of fun making cases. We used to do uh, weird designs. The coolest one I ever saw, a buddy of mine, cut the mammoth, the Colorado Mammoth logo into the side of his computer case and then put a piece of plexiglass on it, just a colored piece of plexiglass on it and the inside of it. And it was just this logo. It's like uh, well, the towers. You remember how tall the towers used to be? I don't know how oh, many. Yeah um use or whatever it was but uh they'd be pretty tall but the mammoth logo was just a big huge tusk and it was just uh he'd cut it out with a dremel tool jeez <laughs> well i see you know i i miss uh i miss the cup holder right the yeah. um you know the little hit the button it ejects and just put a put a cup in it right i missed that part exactly right? that one <laughs> exactly excellent <laughs> I was always a running joke back years ago when we were, uh, <laughs> when I first started out, they were always talking about, because I've been doing this for way too long, is uh, there's always a running joke about somebody using it as a cup holder. So I don't know <laughs> if it ever happened or not. I'm sure they did. <laughs> let's let's hope not. Um, hi, nerds. It's uh, Michael Moore. I'm here with uh, Mitch O'Dell, Director of Information Technology at Shimmick Construction. Uh, Chris, uh, sorry, Mitch. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to dissecting popular IT nerds. Uh, first time on the program. I'm really glad to have you here. Um, I want you know. I was I was looking at your uh, you know your LinkedIn and I saw um, uh, you're in the Air Force. My father was in the Air yeah. Force. His father was in the Army Air uh, or was it the Army Air Corps before that? Yeah. Right. Um, when it came to me, uh, I interviewed and they said, don't go into the Air Force. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of uh, my uh, my great grandfather was in the uh, Army Air Corps. Right? So he was in the Army and he transferred to the Air Corps when they stood it up in the 40s. 
Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like uh, my family's had a, a long tradition with the military off and on, but my family's so freaking huge to begin with. It's like, it's, a, you know, it's untelling what all people have been in at this point. It, you know, it's it's amazing. Uh, it, you know, if I look back at my uh, hiring and I look through, um, you know, folks that have hired over the course of um, my career, I have hired a lot of people from uh, the military. Yeah. Um, it, you know, the the training and the um, that it gives you uh, during that stuff must it just must constantly breed innovation and, and, and stuff like that. What, what was your experience, uh, you know, IT in, in, in the military? Um, well, just to kind of hit on what you just said there a little bit, too, is uh, one of the things I found, the military translates very, very well to the construction industry, which, you know, I've been in it for, Lord, since I got out of the military, and even before I went into the military, but it seems like the, the attitude and the work ethic and just everything in general it translates very well. And whereas I've seen people come from other industries like banks and stuff like that, and they try to go in the construction industry and there's not, there's not a huge there. I mean, they struggle sometimes. Hey, well, let me ask you a question on that. Cause I, um, uh, being a civilian, um, you know, what is it about the military that translates so well into construction? Well, used to follow in orders. One thing. Uh, second thing is, cause I mean, when you're, when you're working on construction projects, specifically is you've got um task orders you got things you got to deal with things change every day you could have supply chain issues you could have safety issues you could have you know just all kinds of things it's number one number two to be honest with you the construction industry is not what's the word i'm looking for politically correct and neither is the military so you know you don't get a lot of people getting pissed off and getting angry about one thing or another uh so there's a little bit thicker skins there i guess is probably the way to put it i think neither neither is it right so yeah, exactly that, that that hits all all the different spots oh that's a good that's a good good piece um you know you uh wanted to ask uh something cuz as i was looking on talk about you you had mentioned that you had a a strong work ethic right and um and I've heard other people mention uh, the term smart work ethic, right? And I wanted to get your opinion on the difference between, or if there is any, a uh, strong work ethic versus a smart work ethic and what that means. Well, I mean, it could be alluding to, um, you know, uh, it's kind of funny. It's, I'm dating myself a little bit. I used to have a math teacher years ago, back in junior high of all things. And uh, she's like, how do you spell smart? And she'd write it on the board and she'd, she'd spell it L-A-Z-Y. <laughs> because that, I mean, honestly, she was so crazy. Her, uh, it was, the lady was just a trip. And, um, and the, what the intent she was putting on that was work smarter, not harder. Right. And, and that may be kind of where that smart work ethics coming from whereas a, a, a hard work ethic is you know or a strong work ethic is you do the job you stay on the job you stay focused on it until it's done mm -hmm. and smart maybe you know you might take more time trying to figure out things so it works not just well this time but next time etc so kind of you know kind of moving it into that excuse me into the smart side versus the just working hard and getting it done. And do you think they play hand in hand a little bit? Um, I think uh, they're good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Um, because, I mean, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, you definitely want to find the best and easiest and most repetitive way to do that. But at the same time is, what does it look like? Yeah. I, you know, there are so many, uh, looking back, projects, tasks uh, that I've been given, and I'm sure you have, uh, that required uh, just buckle down and uh, monotonous boom, 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 boom to knock them out. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like you mentioned, the repetitive piece uh, was another one where you're where you go through and and you'd say, you know, I'm doing this over and over and over again. And the risk when you do things repetitively is that you're going to slip and miss something. Right. Yep. And so, uh, you know, automation kind of brings that, uh, I guess, what we we're talking about the smart work ethic into play. So I kind of look at it as both. And, and, and I want to see your thoughts on this, whereas you got. A strong work ethic, meaning I can buckle down, I can do what needs to get done, right? And then the smart work ethic is now that I know what needs to get done, right? Then I turn around and and find a way to do that uh, more um, efficiently. Yeah, that's a yeah. good word. I think efficiency. I think that those. I think efficiency is a very strong word there, and I think that's the one thing that everyone's always looking for. The one thing that um. I always want to point out, though, especially in IT, and I've seen this, I don't know how many times throughout my career, is folks tend to overthink stuff at times. And they're always trying to think of a better way of doing it versus just doing it. Sometimes there's a time and place for everything. Sometimes you just need to go down and hit the checkbox 50 times. Yeah. I See, I like that because I, I know that people can spin their wheels for a long, long time trying to automate tasks that it's like, this is a one-time deal. Just you know, just buckle down, get this done, move on. And then, you know, if this becomes a recurring task that we can edit it later on, right. With a, with some automation. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. Now you had referred to uh, yourself in, uh, in your profile here um, as an effective change agent. I absolutely love that. I think that's a great term, uh, but I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of ask the question to you, you know, while I think I know what it means, right? I want to. I want to understand what what you're trying to convey there when you call yourself an effective change agent. Um, I'm trying to think of the exact words here. The best the best point this out is basically I don't get stuck in the way that we've always done things, and that's been one. Of the, that's been one of the biggest. I don't know, poison pills, if you will, throughout my career in different places as to where, well, we've always done it this way. Well, why? Mm-hmm. Why have you always done it this way? Just because it's always been done this way doesn't mean it's the way that needs to be done today. And uh, and that's what I mean by effective change agent, because I can come in, figure out what's being done and what we can do to change and what we can do to make more effective. Um, you know, I've always, I've got this saying, and it drives people crazy sometimes, but I always use it is there's, especially in the construction industry, there's three ways of doing things. And when I say that, people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, there's the right way. Then there's the wrong way. Then there's a, the way that makes you successful. <laughs> it could be 80% the right way, 20% the wrong way. But hey, if it's making you money and you're successful, it's the right way for you. Uh, you know, that's a, I, I kind of look at, I, I, I kind of look at the, uh, um, uh, projects and and things that need to get done in IT is is moving targets, right? 
they're never static. They never stay in one place. They're always kind of moving. And, you know, your little uh, um, three ways of doing <laughs> things, right, uh, matches up with that because you can start in one way and, and, yep. it's, and it's continuing to evolve and change. And, and you got to change along with it. So that's a, that's a good thing. Now, let's, let's take that to the next level, right? Like, so we've got, uh, um, uh, you know, <laughs> we've got Mitch here's effective change agent, right? Which is uh, uh, not related at all to any type of secret agent. So guys, just get that <laughs> out of your heads. All right. <laughs> Only IT here, right? So um, no, but uh, he's, a, uh, he's an IT effective change agent. Now, okay. Now that is uh, having a lot to do with getting projects done, but it also has to do with change management, right? Because it's yeah. another big piece of it. We can we can make change, but we all know what happens when we make too much change and uh, and we don't uh, um, do change management. Let's speak on this a little bit, Mitch. Let's let's dive into change management because I know there's a lot of people out there. Um, this pops up on security all the time. Mm-hmm. This is a, a a major thing about implementing change management. And um, I have tried several methods. Um, some have worked, some have not, right? Um, I'd love to hear your uh, take on change management and, and how, that, how that works. Really, it's communication, you know, and um, that's one of the things, you know, that we're always struggling with, no matter what it is. It's just everyone communicates differently and they, everyone hears something differently. And, um, and so you never know where they're coming from. They could be on one side of the fence being, I don't want this to change to the other side of the fence to where this should have changed 20 years ago. Why are, why are we waiting so long to do it? So you kind of have to find that balance between the two in the change management arena. And all, at the end of the day, it all boils down to communication and talking to one another. And one of the things that, um, you know, even like on day-to-day tickets and things like that, when I'm working my staff, IT folks, especially the ones I've been around, they're all, they always get used to just popping an email or sending a text message or whatever. And I'm like, just pick up the blasted phone <laughs> and just call somebody and talk to them because you can get so much done just by a five-minute phone conversation than you can by sending 30 emails. Yeah, I, and, you know, I, I, I love having the conversations and talking. And, uh, and maybe it's me, but, but it, maybe it's why I'm co-hosting a podcast at the moment. Right. Um, but yeah. I love the conversations. I think you get more out of the conversations than a back and forth text message. Uh, my, uh, uh kids would probably disagree with me, right? yeah. but, but I, I, I love the exchanges. I think the exchanges are, are worthwhile. And I think you can kind of, uh, it's a, it's a, better way to strategize and, and, and stuff and, and, and come up with uh, ideas. Um, now, well, it's just a human, it's just a human interaction. I mean, yeah. cause I don't know how many, think about it. And if a lot of people start processing this, how many times have you read an email and you get so freaking mad <laughs> because of the text that they've used or something like that. And you get so irritated and so angry. You just want to just immediately just pop off another quick email at them, you know, just back and forth, boom, boom, boom. And, but the thing is, is how many times have, uh, I personally have picked up the phone when I see one of those emails and called them and said, Oh, did you mean this? You know, and try to, you know, trying to, and, and that's what communications like email, text messages, et cetera, they lose that human factor because you don't see the intent behind the, behind the words. Yeah. And, no, that's a great point. And when, and when you miss that, 
I think you miss a lot. Yeah. You know, I, it's not just verbal cues, but there's body language. There's, you name it. I think that's a great point. Uh, there's plenty of times where I picked up the the phone and, and uh, resolved conflicts in, in very little amount of time. Uh, and it was just a, that someone typed something one way and they did it because it was quick and they just wanted yeah. to get it done and move on to the next task. Right. And then you're reading this email going, huh? Right. And it, maybe it doesn't contain all the information. Maybe it's said it incorrectly. Maybe it's uh, worded a way that, that confuses or, or, or doesn't come across correctly. I see this all the time. And communication is a big deal. Um, well, social media is a good example of that. I mean, that's you can't. I mean, how many times has somebody put something on social media that got misinterpreted? Oh yeah, that's a that's a land that's a landmine that we're not going to go into in this podcast. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> but you get my point, though. I mean, it's just like I guarantee you is if you sit and talk to half the people that people get pissed off at when they're dealing with stuff like that, and they just sit down and have a conversation with them, they wouldn't be mad at all. Yeah, no, I agree. Now let me let me take it back real quick because I think we're doing a really good job with this change management piece. Um, it, you know, uh, putting in the communications or setting up some type of a change management program, which I, I don't know. I mean, feel free to disagree with me here, but I, I have not ever seen a single change management uh, program that worked uh, um, for every organization, right? I mean, it, it almost felt like every organization I went to, I had to modify it slightly to fit the culture uh, and fit the way that the um, projects were completed. And worked on in there. What's your uh, what's your experience with that? Well, I agree with you. I think every organization is different, and um, I've seen it work extremely well. Um, when I was, uh, you know, a couple companies back, it worked. You know, they had a, a very mature IT organization, and it worked just extremely well because those folks. I mean, they put a lot of money into that organization to get it to work. And I've been in some of the other organizations to work. It didn't work at all. You know, it's just that simple. And uh, um, and I think that that, it definitely, change management is, a change management process, a defined, organized, and set path on a change management process works very well in mature, mature organizations. And I think that in the younger organizations, it really struggles because people aren't used to it. They operate a little faster sometimes. Yes. Close them down. Whether big yeah, organizations I mean, are, 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 you know, more formal, projects take a little longer, right? Generally, we can see this kind of happen. Uh, um, uh, you know, we're, we're being general here. Where there's certainly big corporations that operate pretty quickly, and there's smaller ones that could slow, be slow as well. But in general, and what I've seen from working at, working at places that have been very, very, uh, very small or working in places that have been very big. Now, the place mm -hmm. you're working at right now, big or small, looks like big to me, right? Uh, medium, actually. Uh, probably medium. medium to large. Uh, okay. Um, the biggest company I ever worked for, obviously, was the Air Force, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, with, uh, you know, all comes around with that. But um, at the biggest private company I ever worked, worked for, when I started with them, uh, CH Stonehill, uh, they were at um, 2,500 people. Yep. yep. By the time I left, they had twenty five thousand. Yeah, that's a big jump. So yeah, you saw went, you saw the them actually, yeah. uh, um, you know, transform. That's a big yes. leap. That there's so much that happens from going to from uh, twenty five hundred employees to twenty five thousand. Uh, yeah. That 
I mean, I don't think we could even cover it all in this podcast, but you must have seen so many radical changes to how things are done, how things yeah. are worked, right? Yeah, I did. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, that helped me on my career from a selfish standpoint for two seconds was it gave me the opportunity to work on so many different projects and so many different things. It wasn't even funny. I mean, I, uh, when I started there, I was in the data center. When I left, I was doing basically leading a, um, supervising a team of, uh, help desk folks. But along the way I did programming. I did, Oh Lord, quality control stuff. I did server administration. I did, uh, uh, you name it. I mean, some of the coolest projects I got to work on while I was there was um, I had uh, supported the estimating teams for uh, the London Olympics. Uh, wow. Chernobyl. Clean, the cleanup for Chernobyl. They, they were working on the thing for that one. Oh, oh my. Um, the coolest project I thought, you know, being ex-military, I loved it, was um, I was supporting part of the Iraq reconstruction efforts. And we were monitoring all their network locations because we had all these little spots all over the uh, Iraq after the war. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we were trying to figure out whether they were up and running at any given time. And oh, wow. so um, I worked with our DBAs at the time and some of our uh, Oracle folks and uh, Sun folks. And I wrote a program that enabled me to monitor all of those locations. And so we had it up in the data center and had these little flashy lights going or whatever. And we could tell, oh, here's Haditha Dam. That one just went red. We got a problem. What's going on there? You know, and then it pulled it up and tell us who to contact and do all this other stuff. It's pretty cool. There's nothing like writing something and getting it working and then just sitting back and watching it produce the results that you want <laughs> and yeah. seeing that well, real time and being like, I have the data now. I can see what's going on. The, the coolest thing out of that project was we were in the data center and all of a sudden one day uh, here comes the CEO and a bunch of folks from Washington in there and they start pointing us out. Cause I mean, I made the thing flashy and put these little lights, had a big map of Iraq and the lights all over where they were at, you know, based upon their GPS coordinates. Right. That's awesome. And, uh, and like, I don't know, it was like some kind of secretary or something of something. I don't know if it was the army, the Navy, whatever. Uh, and uh, they were in there and uh, they're like, oh, my lo- oh goodness, that's so cool. <laughs> you know, and it was kind of <laughs> little flashy green lights. It was pretty neat. That, and, and, you, like, uh, uh, and you sat there and go, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's doing its job. And as they walked away, exactly. you're like, yes. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're in a big organization like that. And the cool thing was, is, um, and, you know, and that was one of the cool, coolest things, one of the best CEOs you know, I've worked with a lot of good CEOs, but one of the better ones I've ever worked with was uh, Ralph Peterson. He's passed away several years ago, but he was in charge of CH at the time. And this guy, I don't know how many people he saw on a daily basis, you know, and weekly basis. And he remembered everybody. And, uh, you know, you're really young. You're right there. And he walks in. Hey, this is Mitch. And he did this. And blah, 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 all this other stuff. Throws wow. his arm around you. And you're like, didn't even know the guy knew you existed, you know. And uh, that was one. Of, that was definitely a cool, just kind of a uh, episode, I guess, throughout my career. Very nice. And now, in the current space that you're working on, I'm, sh- you know, I'm. I, there might be people out there that don't know. Um, uh, I mean, we all know what construction does, right? But they don't know mm-hmm. the ins and outs of it. I, I always thought it interesting. I always take uh, IT, and I remember explaining IT to folks using construction based themes, right? I would explain, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, different pieces like 
um, cars on a highway and uh, if I was going to explain a program and I would I would use, uh, you know, infrastructure, I would use uh, laying the foundation, uh, you know, uh, for infrastructure. I use them all the time. I just, you know, I'm thinking back of all the times I use, you know, analogies to describe IT and and construction is such a big piece of it, especially Mm -hmm. when somebody's telling me how to, you know, drive down. So so listen, we're trying to, um, you know, you know, fix a program or something that's in use, right? Mm-hmm. And I would just explain to folks, say, listen, here's what's happening. Like, imagine driving down a road and they have to move you to another lane while they fix that lane and then bring you back, right? And there's so many different types of analogies that that coincide with that. You know, thinking about what you do, take a second for us and uh, for the... Um, for the audience out there that doesn't do construction on a day-to-day basis, right? And bring us into your world a little bit on, on construction and IT. Okay. Well, um, I guess construction and IT is a little bit, there's different pieces to the puzzle. Okay, you got your basic IT stuff, which is just support and service. And that's what a lot of people think of when they think of IT people. They think, my laptop's broke, I need to get it fixed. You know, that's pretty standard SOP, right? That's the the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't see the bottom part of the iceberg, uh, you know, uh, yeah. that uh, that is IT. Exactly. And that's and that's a good example with construction and engineering and architecture and all of it is you just don't see how much that goes into it because um, in today's construction world, I mean, folks can't do their change orders or RFIs or submittals their uh, project management, their billings, all that stuff without some type of computer system, whether it be an application, whether it be whatever. You know, so, you know, there's different phases of construction and it was kind of wild that you bring it up because I was actually uh, working on some stuff the other day of trying to figure out exactly what those different phases are and what kind of applications we have in those phases that help support that. Because, I mean, that's the business end, you know, the tip of uh, the uh, tip of the spear, if you will, outside of just keeping mail uh, exchange running. You know, you got in construction, you know, the different phases of construction, you got the initiation phase, you got the pre-construction phase, procurement, construction itself, and then you have to close the jobs out as well. And there's a piece of software or a computer or something, email. It's very integral to that. Uh, You know, just basically uh, doing scheduling. You know, uh, uh, doing Gantt charts, making sure things are flowing right, making sure your resources are loaded right, making sure all that stuff's going on. And so that's the pieces that we support, but we also have to know how to utilize that stuff because you get somebody new comes in and they may know how to do their their business, but they may not know how you do your business because, you know, it goes back to three ways of doing things. And you go into any of these companies and they're always going to say, this is the shimmick way, or this is the CH way, or this is the whatever builder way, or this is the whatever. And everybody has different ways of doing things. And that's kind of where I come up with that three ways of doing things. And uh, because uh, the catamount way, you know, uh, and I've always heard that no matter where you go, but I mean, we do things and that's just on the operations side. Then you got the back office side, which is supporting accounting, supporting HR, supporting 
business development, supporting whatever, you know, the back end piece, making sure that the numbers are crunching right, making sure the reports are running, making sure all those other pieces. And then you got the front user piece, which is, you know, the laptops and my system can't get onto the Wi-Fi network or I can't, you know, I'm at Starbucks and I can't get logged in, those kind of things. <laughs> it so, runs the gamut. Uh, yeah, so, really so we work on, on everything. Yeah. I, you so know, you end up being a jack of all trades at times. In well, and, and that's a, it's a good point. You know, I feel like in IT, that's a, um, it's a running, uh, um, it's a running theme, right? It's, uh, hey, listen, uh, I need you to do this. Have you ever done this before? I haven't, but I'll just figure out how to do it. <laughs> right? <Yeah>. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, there's, uh, and I learned this, you're talking about Air Force and military stuff. I like got one of the things I brought out of the Air Force was you don't have to know everything. You just have to know where to find everything. <clears throat> And that was one of the things we, you know, when I was in the military, I got um, stationed out here in Colorado. I was with the uh, Space Command, what's known now as Space Force. Everybody talks about Space Force. Yeah, Space Force. As like, I was Space Force before it was cool, if you will. <laughs> and uh, we worked on these big, giant mainframes. And these mainframes were like the, they come out of like, I mean, the big IBM blue boxes that came out of like the 1960s. And this was the end of the 90s, and we're still using this stuff. And we would have these racks of tech orders, which are just literally big, giant owner manuals just stacked up, you know, just on a big, huge bookshelf. And if anything went wrong with the machine, you could find the answer in the books. Yeah. I mean, but you had to pull the books out and start reading, you know, and try to figure out. Because, I mean, this was back before all the search tools. I mean, Google wasn't even on the uh, radar at that point, you know, and you see hey. how much advances Google's done with their search engines. I remember uh, getting a uh, Encyclopedia Britannica uh, every uh, month or something for, you know, be like, oh, the, you know, letter M now. All right. You know, so, I mean, it was just one after another. And then that's what you would use or go yeah. to the library, right, and doing the Dewey Decimal System and use, writing down bunches of numbers and chasing out to try and find books and walking out with a huge stack of books that are about to fall over, right? And uh, creating a research paper based on that. And then in the middle of all that, uh, the internet became a real big thing. And then you were like, oh, I, this is easier. <laughs> right? Well, and that's exactly it. Imagine having an uh, Encyclopedia Britannica for each piece of computer equipment. Mm. You would have like 15 volumes, 16 volumes for each piece of computer or anything would break. You'd have to go in there and figure out how to fix it. And um, so nobody would ever remember because everything would break. Because if the same thing was breaking right. over and over again, there's a problem. <laughs> you know, so every issue would have a different solution. And so you'd have to figure out how to fix it. And um, and that's kind of what it comes down to. It's like you don't know how you don't have to know everything. You just have to know how to find the answer to everything. I love that. You 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 don't know how you I'm gonna repeat it for the audience so they hear it, right? You don't know how to do you don't need to know how to do everything. You only need to know how to find out, you know, where to go. Yeah. To actually get the information, then you can figure it out, right? So after exactly. that, so that's essentially the 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 pieces of it. Now, um, why I think that's fantastic, right? Is you can't know everything. No, I, I, anybody anybody tells you they know everything, they're full of it. <laughs> exactly, you can't know everything. Um, uh, I have uh, um, in doing these podcasts. What's remarkable to me is the amount of stuff I get now to um, hear and learn from other people uh, and their experiences. And they they vary so much uh, and dramatically, and there's so much different um, uh, different things out there that people can do. Um, 
when I hear about the construction and the projects that have to go on along with the support, along with the, and there's different phases that happens, um, it, it's, uh, you know, it kind of brings me to a, a question because I know that there are uh, audience listeners out there. They may be new uh, management, you know, in IT, and uh, they're trying to figure out how to organize projects how to um, make changes without causing uh, major disruptions, right? Uh, the best example, construction example I'm giving you, right, is, uh, you know, that uh, um, driving down the road while someone's trying mm -hmm. to fix it, right? That's the most dangerous one. Um, and, uh, and that happens in companies all the time. Like, yes. it, and I've seen it happen where people are changing things as, as the, uh, um, they're actively being used, um, yes. you know? And, um, Especially today, when we're, um, you know, we've reached a point where uh, lots of people may be uh, cutting down on some staff and saying, "Hey, we just need you to hurry up and get these things done and and and, and move on." And I, you know, the message to the business leaders, I think I want to I want to put is you got to be careful how that happens and and how you say that, right? Because you could have major problems with trying to rush through changes on things that are actively in use, right? Mm -hmm. And using that a con uh, construction example, right? Constructing a road while it's while people are driving on it, you can see how there's gonna be problems. It, have you also seen this out there? Yeah, absolutely. You see it all the time. I mean, you know, um, like I said, we always use analogies and I think it's the best way that I think to explain it because you have to kind of have a foot in both worlds. You got to be able to speak geek, but speak normal human at the same time, <laughs> you know, and then translate between them. And I think that's where managers come into play at is your best managers can do both. Mm -hmm. If they can't do one side, then the IT folks aren't going to respect them. If you can't do the other side, the business folks aren't won't respect them. So you got to be able to translate between the two. And, you know, some of the things, that, uh, you know, we always use was, you know, it's like changing a tire while you're driving down the road and the car's on fire, you know, and uh, and that's just kind of, uh, and that's what you're doing. I mean, you see yep. it every day. Uh, one of the things that, you know, one of the biggest challenges I've seen in construction itself is around the ERP systems. Right. Uh, accounting systems and things like that, because they're always need to be updated. They always have to be uh, going. I mean, there was a couple of niche construction ERP systems that update their software twice a year, and they only support the software two versions back. That's been one of the latest things that's been coming up in the last five, 10 years. So you got to stay and, on top of it. Exactly. Especially if you have stuff on premise. Uh, oh, yeah. Now, if you're, if you're hosting out in their cloud and they take care of everything, you don't have to worry about it. But if you, but most companies, they end up, they buy an ERP system. And then they modify the ERP system to fit the way they do things versus the way that it was intended. And it yeah. always happens, no matter how, it, oh, we need yep. to do it this way. Yep. And, um, and then every time there's a, a patch or a new update or a new version or something along those lines, uh, you have to update it. But then you have to ba basically take into account all the customized changes they've made in the past and while they're still trying to run payroll. It, it, and not only is that time-consuming, yeah. uh, it's also costly, and the chances of error uh, greatly go up. Right? Yeah, I mean, just uh, one of the latest updates we're doing right now. It's taking us six months just to prep it, and we're going, we're doing a big rollout this weekend on it. And uh, you know, I'll be—I'm not gonna lie—I'm nervous, you know, because it's just—it's 
you just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, and, but it will get through it. Everybody does. I mean, it's just yeah. like, it's just one of those things that you've got to get through, but there's always that piece. You're talking about change management that, that plays a part. So does prep work. So does testing. So does reporting. So does all up and down the scope, not to mention, and that's not even running the, okay, update software. Click. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's update software. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for click for a second. Let me just make sure I've thought of everything. I'm going to go click it again. Wait just a moment. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, the little hesitation a few times before you go, okay, no, I'm going to click it. I'm going to go and then I'm going to walk into another room for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Call me when, it, when everybody's done yelling. <laughs> I, I mean, no. it happens. I yeah. mean, it's just, it's all part of it. And it's just, and I think change management, I think you hit on something very huge. Uh, you know, I think change management is a huge piece of what we do. And I think that a lot of folks don't understand that, especially on both sides, whether well, you, you it's technical said side or operational. Yeah, you said something that I thought was um, I thought was really good, and uh, I was just going to kind of repeat it here so the audience catches up on it. Um, when you're talking about change management, right, uh, and going to update things, uh, one of the things that you know, you do in your head over and over again, and which is why it makes us so neurotic about changing things is uh, because you think of all the possible ways it could fail based on the experiences that you've had, right? (laughs) You're like, wait a second, Um, how many different ways could this fail? And, uh, you know, how catastrophic uh, could they be, right? And then you start going, okay, have I, let's go and, and create it. So when I would do change management with folks, no matter what I would put in, it would always contain one thing, which was, how could this fail? And if it does, how could we roll it back? Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And don't, and don't forget the power of the word should. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It should work this way. <laughs> if it doesn't, we'll figure it out. But it should work like this. But yeah, absolutely. You always have to have a backup plan. And, you know, I mean, even with these bigger ERPs, um, you know, we plan it for six months. We're going to kick it off on Thursday. We're going to have it back up and running by Monday. Yep. So it's what, four days. And then on Sunday, though, we've got this little cutoff pattern of if it ain't working, how can we go back to the old version? What do we yeah. got to do? We yeah. know What do we got to do as far as turning it over? Sometimes, and the scary part is you can do a couple of things. You can either basically build a new farm over here and put the new version over there and then migrate the data. That's the safest way. But if you're migrating in uh, real time, or an up, updating in real time, uh, that can cause problems. Because if you have to roll back a patch or you have to roll back a, an update or an upgrade or something like that, you know, that could definitely, that definitely could cause some issues. This, you know, we, earlier we had talked about the differences between um, uh, smaller organizations and larger, larger organizations. Larger organizations generally um, have a little more capital and uh, and uh, um, OPEX available, they can actually, uh, um, you know, set up test environments appropriately yeah. and, and test things before they go live. Uh, smaller organizations sometimes don't have that ability. Um, yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I've spoken with several individuals at smaller organizations that um, they just uh, don't have the capital or the operational budget to go ahead and you know, uh, install a, a test program, even though it's best practice, right? Um, so as uh, as we talked about with, I, I believe it was, um, and I, it, it maybe we're adding things, but 
you know, driving down the road in a car, it's on fire and we're trying to change a, a tire. And, uh, you know, maybe also the windshield just got cracked, right? The uh, yeah. just, just keep adding to the car and make it even worse. Uh, and the question is, is, uh, you know, let's go ahead and try and fix all that stuff uh, while it's still running uh, without a test organization. While it's, sorry, a test um, uh, platform uh, to see if it's going to fail or not. Um, you're really rolling the dice there, but some organizations just don't have that ability. And, uh, you know, what do you, what's your advice to, uh, to folks, uh, that are, um, trying to manage in those smaller organizations without the budget of a larger organization to do some of those best practices? My advice on that, cause I've been in both. Cause like I said, I was at CH, which had 25,000 people. But I was with a smaller company at one point, had 64. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, I've been in both. I've been in all up and down the gamut, different situations, different companies. And the one thing that served me well is being straight up and honest with your ownership and your leadership and tell them what you can do and what you can't do. And if you advocate for yourself, become your self-advocate and you uh, basically show them the pluses and minuses, they manage risk every day on a daily basis. And they know what that risk is. And if they understand what the risk is and they understand um, what needs to happen to manage around that, I guarantee you some of those purse strings will will loosen up a little bit. The biggest problem I've seen with IT folks is they don't advocate for themselves. Yeah. And they don't do it effectively. Yeah, you've actually hit it up on something because otherwise the, the purse strings may open or they may not. But if they don't open, you've advocated. And it goes south, you're not going to get yelled at. Yeah, that's a great, that, that is really good advice here. Um, I, you know, if the audience, listen, Mitch here, it's a good advice. Advocate for yourself, advocate, uh, advocate for what you know is the right way to get things done. Uh, and, um, and then, you know, accept the business parameters that you're given uh, and work accept with the business them. decisions. Yep. Yeah, except the business decisions, because if they make a business decision not to open those purse strings up, then they've they've basically allowed for that risk. Mm-hmm. And then when things go south because they weren't able to do that, yep. now all of a sudden that risk has been not just managed, but it's also been spread across the organization, the business itself, where it's a business decision, not an IT decision. True. And not only that, you've put it into, your he- into their heads, so they're more prepared for it. It's not just a surprise when it happens. If it does happen, and it's unfortunate when it does, if it does happen, now it's in their head. They're actually even more prepared to deal with that, uh, um, with that uh, um, you know, disaster, so to speak. Uh, that could, exactly. you know. Um, so, and uh, I think that's a great, I think it's a great way to do it. It's a very professional way to do it. This is, this is what you're looking at. You know, uh, here's the risks. We can do it. Um, but this is what, uh, you know, we're gonna do. I'm gonna try everything in my power not to get it uh, to do that, but there's always a chance that that can happen. Uh, you know, when you're, uh, uh you know, driving in that car on fire <laughs> with yeah. the, with the, uh, change in the tire with the cracked windshield and I, you know, whatever we want to add to that thing. Um, you know, I saw a post on your, on your link that you liked on your LinkedIn. I know I, I, I was making a joke with someone else earlier that I was just, uh, you know, stalking them on their, on their LinkedIn, but it's such a great way to figure out, you know, and ask yeah. questions about things. Um, you just, you reshared it. Um, and so it was a picture of Michael Jordan, right. And uh, mm-hmm. I guess that, you know, he, it was from a quote from that, um, 
the movie they created about him, uh, Last Dance, I think it was called. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, guys. So I don't have it 100%, but it's like, you know, winning and leadership have a price. So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenged people when they didn't want to be challenged. Uh, you ask all my teammates, the one thing about Michael Jordan, he never asked me to do something that he didn't do. Uh, yep. Powerful quote, but I want to hear it from your words. Why? What made you reshare it? Because I've always, I've said something very similar to that for years. And uh, people that have always worked for me, I always said, uh, when I start leading a new team, I'll set people down individually and talk to them. And one of the things I always end end with is I was, I'm like, I'll never ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. And uh, if I'm willing to go dig a ditch at a construction site and I'm the IT director, I don't want to hear any complaining. You know, it's that simple. It's like, you know, if I'm willing to basically put in the long hours, I'm willing to be there at three o'clock in the morning doing stuff. Uh, I don't want to hear you know, a lot of people, uh, I don't, I wasn't hired to do that. I wasn't hired. To, well, you're hired to do a job by a company, whether it's a computer or whether it's something else, that's what you're hired for. And at the end of the day, we all have to be on the same team to get that job done. And if that job is building a skyscraper, then we're going to go out and build a skyscraper so we can all get paid. You know, I mean, that's the whole thing. And that's the, and that's the approach I've always taken. It's like, I'll never ask somebody to do a job I'm not willing to do myself. And then when I saw that, it just struck a chord and that just, you know, it's just uh, very powerful, you know, and there's another one he uh, put out too, is talking about no one ever, uh, no one ever uh, sees the shots that I missed, you know, something along those lines. And he said something about, I've missed like something like 15,000 shots or whatever to the 4,000 that I made, you know, and uh, because of all the prep work and all the time and all the energy he put into stuff. And, you know, and I even use that one on my kids all the time. It's like, you know, it's like you never know. You you just can't stop. Just because you make a mistake, just because you slip, you just got to keep going and try again. I, perseverance is such a, um, <clears throat> it, 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 it's such an underrated skill. It, but it, it is why people succeed in so many different ways. I've seen it. I have seen people fail over and over and over again. Uh, and then the one time, you know, they finally succeed and stuff like that, you just want to stand up and clap, right? Because I mean, you know yeah. what they've been through. You know the, all, the, all that hard work and stuff that they poured into it. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, um, you know, it pays off, you know, but it doesn't pay off right away, you know? And I think no. it's such a, it, it's a good, and it's a powerful quote. And it's something also that I, learned a long time ago um, when, uh, it, it, you know, one of my managers was teaching me how to, uh, um, uh, you know, to delegate tasks, right? Uh, the, uh, uh, the rule of, of delegation uh, this manager taught me, which was don't ever delegate a task that you a, can't do or weren't, aren't willing to do. Yeah, right. exactly. So, you know, and that's, and that's one of the things, you know, even, with tasks like that is usually if I find that I'm not willing to do it, I won't ask somebody else to do it. I'll just go do it myself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've gotten that situation a couple of times and it was kind of, uh, you know, to where it was kind of bad, you know, they ask you to do something, you don't want to do it. You know, it's a lot of menial work and all this other stuff. And, and it's like, and, um, and I'd have to go ask folks to do this. And so what I would do is to, if I'd have two folks working on it, instead of, as instead of splitting it 50 50, I split it 33, 33, 33, and I'd do 33 of them. 
And uh, I'd take time out of my schedule and just do it because I like, you know, if I'm going to ask you to do something and I don't want to do it, then I'm going to help you do it. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, Mitch O'Dell uh, is going to be changing that tire of that car that's driving down the road on fire with a cracked windshield uh, and probably a loose tailpipe, right? Yeah. I'll be sitting there holding the lug nuts at the very least and uh, handing you stuff while you're doing one of the two. <laughs> well, and that's one of the things that comes from, uh, you know, we made a comment about jack of all trades. And I think that's been what my career has been a lot of is I've worked on so many different things. You know, again, analogies, analogies. It seems like it seems to be the part for the course. I've always told people I've worked on everything from satellites to cell phones. <laughs> You know, which I literally have, which yeah. is the funny part. You know, with my uh, DSP stuff I did in the Air Force, with because that's what I did. Is I worked on the mainframes for the uh, Defense Satellite Program. Yeah. And and then I've basically changed SIM chips and cell phones. I mean, you that know? is diverse. And um, and that's just it. It's like, you know, we if, if you're going to work on something, you know, you got to do it and get it right. Um, there's a tech sergeant in the Air Force, you know, it sticks in my head. Um, he used to say, do a job big or small, do it right or not at all. <laughs> you know, and that was the old Sergeant Ethier. But it, it works in, it works in so many ways. And, and that is a, um, that's just great, great advice. I welcome anytime I'm able to learn something new because, uh, you know, it's just another, uh, you know, trick in my bag, so to speak. Um, well, I'll, like wear, I'll wear out my uh, infrastructure guy sometimes because I'll get bored. And or not really bored. I'll get the word. There's so much crap going on in my head. I just need to clear it. Right. And I'll go in. I'll start rewiring uh, data closets. I've been known <laughs> to do that before too. <laughs> and they get so they get so irritated with me. I'm sitting here. I'm just pulling cables and punching cables. You know. I mean, there was when we were standing in the office up down here, one of the newer offices. Um, I drug my son out a Sunday afternoon and was hanging Wi-Fi access points because. I just couldn't do any more management stuff. I just needed to get on, do some hands-on stuff. So yeah, that's a ladder. I'm drilling holes and freaking walls and everything else. There is a, uh, a, a you know, a certain, I've known a lot of IT guy, IT people, a lot of IT people. And, and in my, uh, um, in my career, and they all seem to have a, a, a um, hobby outside mm -hmm. of, uh, outside of IT. That is a, seems like a, uh, just a, uh, listen, I'm going to do it by myself and it's just a task-based thing that I'm going to get done. It may be creative, but it's just like, I'm going to do this thing. And, uh, and it, it's my way around not having to think about, you know, uh, billions of different possibilities that may happen if I don't do something or do something right. It's their yeah. little escape out of the IT realm. Um, but you know, and, and I, and I have, I've done it too before where you're like, I got to flip out of management mode here and I just got to sit down and get some things done little by little, just knock out some tasks, get my cue reduced. And then I can yep. go back into thinking mode again and, and, uh, and talk about it. So I, I do, I do see that. I do see that. A yeah, lot. I do. Some of the things, the hobbies I've got or had, you know, at one point I was brewing beer, really enjoyed that for a great while. hobby. By the way, yes, it's absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I think I drink more and I brew now. I mean, I haven't really done, since COVID kicked in. I'm like, I'm not going to take a chance on getting anybody sick with anything. So I was like, all right, forget it. I'll just drink it. Um, but you know, and little things like that, you know, and um, 
what other things i'll get out and i'll do woodworking every once in a while i get in the yeah. garage and just build something do something like that i'll write i'll uh, draw uh play my guitar uh, i've got a bow like i said i jump around all over stuff i'll go out to the archery range shoot bows you know things like that just to clear the head and sometimes you know i'll just go dig a ditch if i need to you know it just depends on what you know where i'm at and how much energy i need to exhaust to kind of recharge and, and let and let your employees know that you are recharging and it's okay that they do too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right? That's one of the things I always try to do is um, I don't like it when we have to interrupt people's PTO. Yeah. And, um, and I try very, very hard not to, even though I've done it several times and I feel so guilty when I do it. Um, but I try everything in my power not to. It's like, if it can wait, they'll be back when they get back. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, we don't need a big bug at home. And, and uh, I'll even, you know, some people are like, well, you didn't call and tell me about this project because you're on vacation. Go away. <laughs> you know, <laughs> take the time and be with your family, whatever you need. I, I think it's sometimes people do find it hard to unplug. I know that I do as well. Um, you know, you just, wow, just, just 10 more minutes and I can finish this this piece and oh, wait a second, I haven't figured this out yet. And I got to figure it out before I can go to bed, you know, just there's always something uh, on there, but it is important, I think to, you know, to, to, and I, I was given this advice a, a while back uh, by a friend of mine, just shut the laptop and, and go away yeah. for a little bit and then come back, re-energized, reinvigorized, and you got a better, uh, you get better ideas and you work much better. Work will always be here. That's true. It's that simple. And, you know, and, and the goal is to have you be here too, but people get burnt out, you know, and they get tired and they get leveled. And it's just, you have to be very, very cautious of that and careful of that. And, uh, you know, and a lot of folks, especially in the construction world, I mean, these guys and gals, all of them, they'll get out and they'll put, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 hour days, in, you know, and sometimes, you know, six, seven days a week, depending upon what's go what the project level is, timelines, et cetera. And um, when they're working like that, they're expecting people to support them like that, too. And it's just it becomes a struggle sometimes because you need to get folks, you know, they need to go home. They got things to do and just a balancing act. And that's one of the things that you were talking about the tight purse strings earlier. And that's one of the things I would advocate for companies on behalf of everybody else is, you know, there's a functional piece and then there is a real, a, like a reality piece. Sometimes you do need that extra staff person, even though you don't on paper, it looks different. But at the same time, when you start planning vacations, you start planning, holidays, you start planning support lines, you start planning all this other stuff, you may need to uh, pony up the money for that additional person. And, and what is the risk? And this is, and this is to our uh, audience members that are, um, you know, business leaders, right? Because there's several business mm -hmm. leaders that listen to this as well. What is the risk that those business leaders uh, um, may run into if they don't do that? Losing a tremendous asset. Because if you once you have a good, solid IT person that just knows what they're doing, and they get to know the business, because it's one of the things that you know I was actually discussing. My wife's an IT manager too, of course, you know, so we have IT all over the damn place here. Um, but um, we were discussing this the other day about um, the benefits of offshoring and outsourcing and things like that. The 
pluses and minuses. And one of the things a lot of the businesses don't see is when you have people employed with your company, they have skin in the game. And they, they're always going to care more about your organization than someone that's on the outside coming in. And it's just human nature. Yep. Sorry, but it is, you know. And that's what, and when you have a good IT person and you burn them out and you, you know, turn them into a sender, you're losing a valuable asset. Something, somebody that could be with you for 10, 20 years. If you treat them right, you pay them right, you, um, you know, you know, kind of give the vacations, do the things you're supposed to do. You could have an employee, uh, a dedicated employee with you for a decade or more. But if you don't, they're going to go to the next company. And usually another company is going to pay them 20% more as soon as they walk out the door. Because, I mean, a lot of folks will do that in the IT industry to where they'll job hop. And every time they job hop, they get a 20% increase. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't but like... You can't blame somebody. When they got a family and they got kids to feed, well, I yeah. mean, you can't blame them. I'm not a fan of job hopping, but I have seen it done uh, a lot. And I have seen the, the results on it. I, mostly because I agree with you about the institutional knowledge, the business knowledge, uh, yeah. and getting that and honing that and understanding the business and then creating IT solutions to uh, make that business, uh, you know, soar, so to speak. Um, I agree with you all on that. Now, I think we have, it is, uh, this is uh, coming to the end of this. Uh, this yeah. has gone quickly, Right. We're, yeah, I know. I started to say, I do have a hard stop at three. <laughs> I, I, I say this, but I, I do have a hard stop at three. And speaking of resources, I got to go deal with some resource issues. <laughs> I, listen, uh, Mitch, thank you so much uh, for being on the program. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, as I uh, mentioned, guys uh, in the audience, uh, um, Mitch O'Dell, uh, Director of Information Technology at uh, um, Shimmick Construction. Um, Thank you so much for being on Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. I appreciate it and uh, hope to have you Thank on Thank you again. for having me. All right. Hey, I do have one plug for you. I just thought of something. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to plug this or not, but um, there's a book. I just found, like, am, I, am, I, am I allowed to plug people's books or anything like that? I, you, can, you can. We'll see if it, if it, if it makes the cut. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's a book out there called The Phoenix Project. I don't remember who wrote it, but if you ever have a chance, go look at the book. Go read I have actually it's, read it's, The Phoenix Project, and it is a great phenomenal. Book. It is a great book. Uh, yeah. I would also recommend it. Um, it is a phenomenal book on uh, um, for any actually business leader. Change management. Yeah. Change mm-hmm. management. The whole process. Yeah, they've got everything on that. This is funny that you read that. It, it, that's a that's a great book. I was actually given to me by a uh, CIO uh, to read. Um, and I started reading it and I couldn't put it down. It's phenomenal. I agree with you. I give it to all my managers. Every, yes. uh, every time I get a new manager, I buy them the book and say, here, read this. Oh, that's a smart one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank you can you. always find somebody you know. So, Thank you very much, Mitch. I really appreciate you it. Too, okay? brother.